0: Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Shore as we go into week two of this Under Pressure series as we are all trying to figure out how to navigate life. So I want you to do me a favor go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to the book of James. James chapter one is where we're going to be today. James chapter one. And we're going to, in fact, if you're going, man, I want to read along, we're going to be in James for a while. So if you want to just dive into James. It is a great way during your week and your quiet times and your times of the Lord, sort of track along with us. We have an app, uh, a thing called Digging Deeper, that is a sermon devotion series written off the messages each Sunday, and so it's a great way, and you can go to that on the app or the website. So, would you do me a favor, um, your little notes that you were given on the way in, have those handy, have out your app, North Star Church, Georgia, in the App Store, and it's the easiest way to follow along, and it's so good to see. We've got such a great crowd in here. For those of you up in the chapel, I know you've got a great crowd today in the theater, and those of you watching uh, online and in the uh, on the patio, we're so glad you are here, because I believe that God has something to say to you through this guy James. So let's talk about this real quick. This letter, catch up a little bit last week. Little uh, pop quiz, if you're new, you do not have to take the quiz, but if you were here last week, I'm gonna throw you out a little question. Yes or no, was Jesus the brother of the writer of this letter? Yes or no? Very good, all right, you get an A, all right? He was the writer of the letter, was the brother of Jesus. Did he believe in Jesus as the Savior before or after the resurrection? Very good, look at y'all, man, rocking 100 today, all right? After the resurrection. So before that, he was a skeptic. His brother was claiming to be a Messiah and he didn't buy into it, which I think, plays along with how he writes this letter. So let's do a little setup, and then we're gonna dive in. Last week was all about this letter to this early church. So he was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem. They are the believers that had come to know Jesus there were scorned, to say the least, for what they believed, and then persecution started in the church, and they just... They, everybody went everywhere, right? I mean, just to survive. So they lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they lost their families, they lost their income, they lost everything and really had to begin a whole new life in these new areas. So it plays into how he writes because they're going through hard times, hardships, stuff, troubles, and he's going, hey, if you are in one of those seasons under pressure, here's what to do, and that's what last week was about. Then he begins at the end of last week, picking up this week, to say, if you're there and you need wisdom, ask God. He is glad to give it to you. Remember, we said this last week. We're going to dive in. Knowledge, facts, information. Wisdom, not just facts and information, but it's being able to see things from God's Perspective. Everybody caught up with me? Everybody ready? Stand with me in honor of reading God's word together. James chapter one, we're gonna start reading in verse number five. If you've got the app out or you're following along in your Bible or on the screen, let's, let's read here. This is the amplified version, so there's a little more girth to the message, so there's a little more wordy, but it helps explain it as you read it. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, Let him ask of the giving God. So he's going, all right, you're going through a hard time. You're going through struggles. You're going through adversity. You're going through a season that's hard. If any of you lacks wisdom in that, man, feel free and ask of God because he is a generous God. He's not a God that goes, don't ask me why you're going through it. Just, just, no. He says, ask me. I want to give it to you. Listen to what he says. Let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault finding, and it will be given to him. So if you are going through a season of life, you don't understand, God gets, you don't get it. And it's okay to go, God, I don't understand. God goes, God, let me help you. I I get it, all right, that's a beautiful part. Then Then he pivots. Only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering. No hesitating, no doubting, for the one who wavers, hesitates, and doubts is like the billowing surge out at sea that's thrown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. How many of y'all did not use thither in a word last week? All right, I never used it in a complete sentence. So oh, he, he's basically saying, so when you don't believe, you are like a wave that just goes back and forth. I mean, you don't even know. We're gonna, we're gonna unpack what that means. For truly, Let not such a person imagine. He will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. So if that's you, don't anticipate an answer. For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, He is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. So basically he's saying, if you're a person that just has no idea what you believe and you have no idea who you are, your asking is gonna be very different than the one who asks that knows who they are. We're We're gonna talk about what that means. And the rich person. So let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his elevation As a Christian called to the true riches and heir of God, and the rich person ought to in glory be humble by being shown his human frailty, because like the flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun comes up with scorching heat, parches the grass, its flower falls off, its beauty fades away, even so the rich man will wither and die in the midst of his pursuits. James writes this letter to thousand years ago. And it's as fresh as what hit your Twitter feed or X feed. I don't know whatever that's called now, right? It's whatever hit this morning. It's fresher than that. They needed it then. We need it now. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing today, one of our venues and one of our rooms, would you just ask the Lord to give you wisdom today? Would you? Father, settle in our spaces today. And God, may we hear from you. You want to speak. You want to give. May we want it as bad as you do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Before you're seated, turn around and find three people around them and tell them if your team won or lost yesterday. All right, do that real quick, and we'll get going. So this letter that we're all reading, this letter of James to the early church, remember it's probably, and most scholars believe it's the first letter, this is the first, this book of the Bible was the first one that was sent, right? It was in 40 to 49 AD, it was early. James is fresh off being a skeptic. I want you to remember that. Jesus is his brother. Jesus is doing miracles. He's always known there was something different. Now he's watching his brother claim to be the Messiah, and he ain't buying what Jesus is selling. Jesus dies on a Friday, raises to life on a Sunday morning, walks out of the tomb, and makes a special visit to his brother. That got his attention, all right? And he becomes a believer. He believes in the, and it changed his life. It changed everything about him. How he writes this is how he probably needed to hear it. First thing today, you got three blanks. First blank today, choose. Three keys for wise living, you gotta choose. He paints this picture of a divided person. One foot in heaven, one foot on earth, but in really neither place. So, in our world, we would say it's a person that comes to church and they think about it when they're here, but when they go home, their work, their job, their family, their life, their stuff, they turn towards the Lord on Sunday, they turn away from the Lord during the week, they are a divided person. So it literally means, it's really interesting, a person of two souls. We just don't even know what we believe. It's a divided person. Separateness. Two, this is what it means, two minds. And everything, we hesitate. Why? Because we don't know what's most important. We've never come to a point in our life where we've made a choice about which world we're really in. So it's so funny how he's writing this. He's writing this letter, and it's like he just pivots. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom about what you're, remember, it's about what you're going through, ask God, he's glad to give it to you. But if one of you is wavering and like a, a, a person that's two and and, and tossed by the sea, you're a divided person in all that you do. Everything's a hesitation because you don't know where you're, where you're at. And I want you to write this little thought down, and we're going to develop the thought. You don't know which voice to listen to. Do I listen to God's voice in his word, which is what God's word is? or do I listen to the voices that are here on earth? I'm a divided man, a divided woman. Some of you, I'm just gonna tell you, some of you walked in and this is your story. Got a little bit of God, a little bit of life, and you sort of straddling and you can be a chameleon wherever you go, you, you just take on the color of the place that you're at. And what, what James is telling them is, God's not gonna be able to give you wisdom because you're not listening to what he's telling you because you're a divided person. You're hesitating about everything. So I remember it was one of my first seasons uh, coaching Little League. How many of y'all have been a part of Little League as a player or a parent? Raise your hand. Okay, Little League's a dangerous place, all right, and so it's one of the it's one of the first things. That, in fact, it was real pitch. So kids, this is nine year old baseball, Adams Park, and it's it's coach pitches over. It's kids pitching, which is like dodging missiles that are fired at you. Right, they're never finding the plate. They're usually finding somebody's back or over their head. So. Kids that haven't played before get pretty nervous because it's, it's the first time they've seen live pitching. Well, the way it works is you pick your little team and then you get a hat pick is the way it works. So hat pick is you reach in a hat and you make a what? Pick. All right, here we go. It's, it's, y'all are a little slow. All right, here we go. A little hat pick. Say, reach in and say, I draw a name. Well, the name that I drew was this little kid called Alan. That was his, that'll be his given name for today. Don't want to you may be in the room and this story isn't gonna turn out well, all right? And so, uh, it's Alan. And uh, in fact, I told this story after the first service and a kid walked up to me and he goes, coach, I was on your team. You weren't talking about me, were you? I was like, no, 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 no. It was him. But anyways, it's a whole nother. But so, Alan is, is, a Alan, so in my brain, in my brain, it's Ronald Acuna Jr. coming up. You know, that's what I'm thinking. I got so lucky. I got Alan. I bet Alan one day is gonna be the MLB. He'll remember you. Yeah, it's not how the story turns out. But anyway, so Alan shows up and he's got a bicycle helmet for his helmet. True story. That's not good to wear a baseball field. All right, he's got a bicycle helmet. He didn't own cleats. he never played a game in his life. he never played a day in his life. And I remember coming home and Ann's like, but you're out there to teach him and encourage him. And I'm like, but another coach could have done that. I really needed Ronald Acuna Jr., all right? And so, but I got Alan. And so we're trying to teach Allen how to hit. So, we show him the bat, he had no idea how to grip it. Like every kid when they grip a bat, they, they latch, put it right in their palm and they, they latch on, right? I mean, they get their, they're, they're gonna drain all the blood out of the bat, right? So he's doing that. And I remember he's seen trophies and on trophies, the hitter's arms are like this. And I, I remember him walking up, standing there like this. He has no idea if he's right-handed, left-handed. We're trying to figure all that out. And we're trying to teach Alan how to hit. All I want him to do is teach him how to hit. That will be a success if Alan can learn how to hit. And so I remember we work and we're doing toss-ups and we're doing little drills, Teach him off 10. You're like, Mike, you were a pitcher. How did you know how to hit? I watched people hit off me for years, all right? And so I knew, I knew how they did it. And so I'm, I'm trying to help him out with his, with his game. And so I feel like, I mean, he's getting to where he's, he's putting the bat and putting it to the ball. And I'm like, Alan, listen, here's all I want you to remember. When you go to the plate, Feet shoulder width apart, put the bat on your shoulder and when the pitch gets ready to come, just pick the bat up and take the bat and put it to the ball. That's it, that's all you gotta do. All you gotta do is put it in play. Listen, if you put the ball in play in Little League, all bets are off, right? And so, because the rule of Little League is throw the ball to the place where the runner was last seen, all right? And so, that's that's the way Little League works and so, Alan, he gets it. He gets the gal, never forget. His mom was there, his dad was there, his grandparents were there, his aunts and uncles were there, everybody's there. And the the kid pitching for the other team was wild and he was scared to death and his eyes are so big. And I remember him coming to the plate right down here in Kennesaw, him coming to the plate and we worked so hard, so hard at this. And I remember Alan and I remember him going to the plate and there were at least 10 different people telling Alan how to hit at least, I, none of y'all have ever done this. I know, to, I know, to, we're talking about other people, all right? And so poor Allen's coming to play and, and somebody's telling him, get his elbow up. Well, that's not what coach told me. Then they're telling him, squat, you need to squat low because then they can't throw strikes. They can't throw strikes anyways, all right? And so Allen's down here and then people are telling him all kinds of stuff. Here's the problem. There were too many competing voices. I don't know if Allen ever played another game after a little league. Wasn't my fault. But anyway, so, but why? Because he couldn't figure out what voice to listen to. Listen to me. Some of us are living our lives and we have no idea what voice to listen to. Because Monday to Friday, we turn towards the world. Sundays, we turn towards the Lord, but we're a divided person in all that we do. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what he's talking about. And we have got to choose. What I wanna do is go over and say, listen, we're all in this for Alan. While he's at bat in a game, don't say anything. Let him hear one voice, one voice. Number two, not only we choose, he begins to talk about our identity. So it's interesting when we choose Jesus, our identity changes. Look at what James says in verse nine. Let the brother, and, brother in humble circumstances, glory in his elevation as a Christian, call to the true riches to be an heir of God. We live in a world that is our identity, right? I want you to write down a couple thoughts. Our identity is what we do for a living. You ever get on an airplane and somebody sits down next to you and the fir- they don't know what to say to you. So the first question they ask you is: what do you do for a living? How many of y'all ever been asked that on an airplane before? Why? Because it's it's the identity question of life. And you're like, I'm a business person, I'm a blah, blah, blah. You could be me and sit down next to them. They say, What do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a pastor. They put their earbuds in. All right, thank you. They're, all right, they're gonna, they don't want to mess with this guy the rest of the flight. But it's identity, right? It's what we do, or it's who we are. I'm a husband to Ann. I'm a father of Casey and Mary Michael. And Jen and Kelsey have joined our family. My parents were Chuck and Ann. My brother, is David, my sister's donuts? it's who we are. It's what we do and who we are, but that's really not our identity. I want you to write this thought down. We're gonna we're going unpack it a little bit. Never place your identity in something you can lose. That's what James is saying. Never place your identity in something you can lose. So for almost 27 years, My identity of what I do has been at North Star Church. It's my little name tag. It's my identity. It's what I've done for all these years. Yes or no question. Can I lose this job? Yes or no? That makes me very nervous you say that, but y'all said that with a lot of confidence, actually. And so, yes, there will be a day a real pastor is going to show up, and y'all going to go, dude. We've been missing this all these years. That's going to happen. If I place my identity in what I do, I'm in trouble. When I did the work with the Falcons for all these years, gosh, I was with the Falcons for 13 years. The chaplain of the Falcons said the number one thing. He said, "I'm not working for them now. I'm working for them on the day that they say I need your helmet and I need your cleats. I need your locker." Because their life is they are professional football players. They're not who they are. This group of people, I want you to think about this. This group of people has lost everything. If their identity is in what they did, they no longer do what they did. Their families have disowned them. Remember, they've they've turned towards Christ, which in that culture back then You have turned your back on your heritage and on your family. And he said, listen, listen to what he says. Let the brother in humble circumstances glory in his elevation, just as a Christian call to the true riches and to be an heir of God. Here is your new identity. I want you to write this down. You are his. And only God can speak into your identity. He's the only thing you can't lose. I can lose my job, I can lose my status, I can lose my car, I can lose my neighborhood, I can lose everything that I thought mattered in this world. But what James is telling him is none of it matters because you chose Jesus and you're an heir of his and your eternity is placed in heaven now. You have a brand new address. Never place your identity in something you can lose. In fact, place your identity in the one who will never lose you. Your grip will get weak, his grip never does. We choose, our identity changes, and number three, ready? It changes our perspective. And he begins to talk, it's a, sort of a crazy passage the way he says it. And it talks about like the, the flowers of the field wither under a scorching sun. You know, what, here's what he's saying. Here's what James is saying. Everything on earth will be gone. I want everybody to look at me. I don't want you to miss this. We struggle with heaven because we have it good here. You go to another part of the world, they're longing for heaven. Why? Because they have it so bad where they are. We think, how can heaven be better than here? Here's the problem with here. Here will be gone one day. The day you say yes to Jesus, your address changed. Earth is no longer your home Your home is there. I want you guys to, I want you to type this in. I'm just passing through. James is saying, don't let earth stick to you. You're just passing through. Live like this. You're not gonna be here forever. As the sun comes up, it's gonna scorch away all the stuff of earth. Now, only the things in heaven will last. Jesus said, moth and rust, will corrupt and destroy. But what's placed with him will last forever. So any of y'all, if you're new to North Star, you may not know this part. So in my family, the way we work, so it's Ann and I, and... The goal every day when I come home or if I've been out on a weekend and I come back is to figure out what's been repainted, re-wallpapered, or moved, all right? That's sort of the way. I don't know if any of your homes work like this, but I'll come in, she's like, does anything look different? I'm like, oh Lord, I can't fail this test, all right? And so, does anything look different? And it's always looking different. It's always a different color. And then she'll, so Friday night, I went to a football game and I got home and she had wallpapered a bathroom and she's like, what do you think? Now, we've been married almost 32 years. What do you think my answer is? I think it looks great. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. And she's like, no, seriously, tell me. And I'm like, I will never tell you what I think. And some of y'all are going, dude, she asked you to be honest. No, she didn't. She don't want me to be honest, right? <laughs> but, I, but that's just the way Anna is, And it's awesome. And it always looks great. And it's always beautiful. But we love to go on vacation. Do you think she carries her wallpaper and paint? On vacation, will we rent a condo somewhere? I hate this color. Let's repaint while we're here. Uh, No, all right, that wouldn't work out. Why? Because it isn't whose. Ours. We're just passing through. Ladies and gentlemen, two thousand years ago they struggled with it. Two thousand years later, we still struggle. James tells this early church, if you're gonna follow Jesus and you're gonna ask of him, I want everybody to look at me. Turn your face to him. And he is all you need. Would you pray with me? Father, as I was driving in early this morning, all I could think about was people walking through these doors, and I'm so thankful they come to church, but Father, they're divided. They're a divided soul. They've never turned towards you and said yes. You are my savior. James, you write it because you know what it's like to be divided. You knew what it was like. Maybe you're that person. You're like, Mike, man, I am struggling because I've never given my life and surrendered to Jesus. Jesus hesitate. Why wait another day? He's everything you've been looking for. He's the peace that you're searching for. He's the fulfillment of all your hopes and dreams. I'd love to lead you in a prayer to meeting. Would you join me? It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you were the Son of God. I believe you lived for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again just for me. I turn to- from my sin and I turn towards you today. Jesus, would you be my savior? Well, if you prayed that prayer with me today, if you made that choice Your identity has changed. You're now his. And you have a home that's not here. You have a home with him forever. So no matter what may come your way, you are his and he is yours. Our worship leaders will tell you in just a moment what to do with that decision. Maybe today you're going, man, Mike, I am just... I believe in Jesus, but I'm struggling in life right now. I believe in taking God at his word. Tell him where you're at. He is a firm foundation. Just talk to him, would you?